welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello, and welcome back to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica, your host, and I'm so excited you're here for another amazing episode of the podcast. I have a spectacular guest for you today. I have been obsessed and consuming every podcast she's been on for the last few months, and that is Erin Lochner. Erin has been a blogger for over 10 years now. You might know her from Design for Mankind. She's also been on HGTV and in New York Times and Parenting Magazine and Huffington Post, and she's been all over the place. But most recently, she wrote a book called Chasing Slow, and I love this concept of creating a life that is most meaningful to you. And it's not just about slowing down your life and being more minimalistic, or it's not about being busy, busy, and accomplishing nonstop. It is about finding the right balance and the right pace for you and being intentional about the life that you truly want. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what that looks like in the context of motherhood. And that's not really an aspect she's focused on in her other podcast interviews. So I thought that would be a unique aspect to cover today in our chat with Erin. So I'm so excited. She is one of my favorite people to follow online. I know you're going to love getting to know Erin today. So let's get to it with Erin. All right. I want to welcome Erin Lochner to the show today. Hi, Erin. Hi, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you on. I devoured your book, and the only disappointment that I had was finishing it. <laughs> Literally, oh, I loved so Chasing sweet. Slow. You did such an amazing – did you name the book Chasing Slow? I think that's such a great title. No, I know. It's such a great title. I cannot take absolutely any shred of credit for that. Um, and it was so funny. We were sitting in a meeting um, – I was sitting with a publisher and with a, the marketing manager and with a PR gal, and they were kind of like, okay, you're in, you know, we're, we're starting to need a title. Do you have any thoughts? And I'm just like, I, I, no, I don't know. Titling is so hard. Yeah. And, um, so the, um, I believe it was the VP of marketing that's like, well, tell us, you know, where you're at in the writing process. What have you written so far? What's happening? And I had said some line about, how I'm discovering that chasing slow can be just as exhausting as chasing fast. Mm-hmm. And he stops me and he's like, well, why not chasing slow? I think that's your title. You're done. <gasps> <Yay>! <laughs> and I'm like, and then everybody loved it. And yeah, so it, it was all him. He was, um, nice work, Tom. Very well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well, it's your words, but he had the brains to, to pull it out. So that's amazing. Yes. Yes. Well, I just love the book, and we're going to get all into the process of writing and what it's about and what you learned through that process. For the people that may not know you at this time, Erin, will you just share a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. I um, was born and raised in the Midwest, and um, you know, did the I went the very straight and narrow path of going to college and getting married, and um, we moved to my husband and I moved to Los Angeles. Um, shortly after, well, gosh, right after I graduated, he was two years older and uh, had a brain tumor. And so we kind of fast-tracked life for a while and moved to LA. He was a filmmaker, so wanted to kind of pursue his dreams and, um, very talented man. He won an Emmy and 
kind of lived high, lived fast for a long time. And then um, I was really more kind of just searching for purpose. You know, you read the book. I was really just searching for purpose and meaning um, when living out there. I didn't, I felt a little lost. I felt um, kind of lonely. I think that both of us sort of dealt with his brain tumor in different ways, pouring ourselves into different avenues, he with work and me with this search for kind of acceptance. Mm. And so, um, yeah, we kind of just reached that, you know, when you reach that point where you are not quite at rock bottom, but you have a choice to make you, you're so unhappy that it's like, well, we'll try anything at this point. And so um, we just sort of began to, to make really, very intentional decisions to slow our life and to prioritize what mattered, which was the people around us. So, um, through a series of events, we ended up back in the Midwest. Um, all of this time I had, I had started a blog and was blogging uh, more on, on a art and design level, curating content and curating for local galleries and taking design jobs on the side. And so I lived this, um, sort of kind of grew into my purpose in a roundabout way. Um, but I think it wasn't until motherhood that I found kind of your purpose is really just what you make it in that season. You know what I mean? Yes. No, absolutely. So, and yeah, I we're think, back in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's so interesting is what you said that you kind of hit a place of rock bottom and yet on the outside, it would seem that you were climbing to the top, right? Totally. Yes. Everything's so, upside down always. Yes. Nothing is ever as it seems. So that juxtaposition, I'm, we, we can all be there. No matter if we live in the hustle bustle of LA or even in the Midwest, you can find yourself chasing certain things that you think are going to give you illumination and a sense of accomplishment and a sense of worth and identity. And then you find once you get there, you look around and you're like, well, this isn't what I thought it was. Is that what it was like yeah. for you? Absolutely. And you don't even know you're doing it. That's yes. the crazy thing. You, yes. it, you look back and you think, oh, of course, that was the motivation. Of course, there right. would be no other reason to pack my schedule, pack my house, pack my closet. Like what else would I be doing that for? Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a lot of perspective and a lot of clarity to see that. And sometimes it's really hard when you're in the throes. Right. And like you said, your husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. You knew that. And so you thought, okay, we're going to go for our dreams. We're going to go, go, go. And you realize that you weren't necessarily connecting with each other. You were kind of chasing your own path alongside each other. And yet that connection wasn't there. Was moving back to the Midwest, did that allow you to kind of come back together and just appreciate the life that you were building together? You know, um, I think it happened a little before, actually. I think it happened in when we both... Uh, made the decision to, this was a risky decision um, to both go freelance at the same time. Mm. Um, I think we had always, you know, when he was freelancing, I had a day job. When he, when I was freelancing, he had a day job. So there was always that stability and security. Mm-hmm. And eventually we decided we have got to prioritize each other. Um, and for us, that meant still working, of course, but finding a way to, um, you know, fit work around the margins rather than the other way around. Sure. And so, yeah, we both went freelance, which was super duper scary. We had a really expensive mm-hmm. house mortgage, and um, and I think I think that risk and that clinging to each other and that and that choosing, you know, the best decisions are the risky ones. Um, mm. And I am not a risk taker, so that is just very <laughs> out of character for me to say. But um, I think it was then we were kind of no holds barred. We were all in at that point. I think that's amazing. And sometimes you do have to get to that point of rock bottom 
and oblivion where you're just like, we have to make a drastic change in order to start making little changes, you know? <laughs> yeah, yes. And that's the beauty too is is it makes it that much less scary because you're like, well, if this is the alternative, right, mm. which is terrible, you're so <laughs> unhappy, um, then it can only go up from here, right? So right. Like, it does kind of take away um, – The pressure. It, yeah, it adds a little bit of a safety net and that you know you're working towards something more lovely. Yes, Absolutely. And so you had been pursuing your blog, Design for Mankind. It had been very successful in gaining traction and all of that. And I know that especially with his diagnosis of having a brain tumor, and you go into this in the book extensively, so we don't have to go over all the details, but you were kind of conflicted about starting a family. And I got that, Erin. And, and as a mom, like, oh, I just, you thought, could I be a single mom? Could I handle yes. this on my own? Will you just tell me a little bit about this? I just felt for you in that in that mind space. Oh, thank you. You know, this is such an interesting one because I don't think I ever would have admitted that I was holding back and holding out for that 30-year mark. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I don't think I don't think I quite realized how much I was uh, holding my breath over throughout my entire 20s. That's sure. crazy. You know, wow. that's a decade of of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it with no, he, he was not experiencing symptoms. He was perfectly happy, healthy, thriving. Um, his scans were coming back fine. It, it was just, it was there. It was the elephant in the room and it was there. And um, I was terrified. And so I, I do, I remember having one conversation with, um, it was my pastor's wife actually, just asking about her experience being a mother. She, we were very similar in personality, both very, uh, I'm a very low energy person. I love uh, long, slow conversations. I'm, I'm not very active. I'm not good on no sleep. You know, everything everything that, a, that motherhood requires that we all think right before the baby comes, how are we going to pull this off? Yeah. You know? And so um, I was kind of questioning, you know, if I should even be considering going down that route. And uh, she was very affirming and it shared those same fears, even, even having a husband and a great partner to come alongside her. She said, that is everyone's fear, you know, that you'll never mm-hmm. be enough for your kids and that, um, you know, you'll value a nap on the couch instead of, <laughs> of playing Uno for the, the eighth round. Yes. But I think, um, for me, it, it's funny because we did have be our first kid, uh, right after he turned 30, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think we just, it was a joint decision. And I remember us not being ready to have a baby, but being ready to have a family someday. Mm. It was more, um, you know, we just both kept picturing if we're 80 and we're sitting around the Christmas tree, we want to have kids around us. We want to have grandkids around us. So eventually A has to come before B has to come before C. Right. You have to take and that so risk. You do. you got to take the plunge. And so, um, we did, and it's it's was it was a beautiful exercise in faith in myself and in um, faith in each other and doing it anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because anytime you make a decision or not make a decision out of fear, you're kind of setting yourself up for a bad run, you know. Yeah. Um, and we just decided it was it was silly to um, I think be more than him. It was it was silly for me to um, to let that fear dictate the trajectory of my life. Absolutely. And like we said, like he's already surpassed that first kind of major milestone marker. 
And who knows, what if you're sitting next to each other at 80 and you're like, well, darn it, we should have just done it. (laughs) You don't know. So whenever we hold our breath for, we just have to get through this or I'll do this when this happens or whatever, we're not granted anything. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. And so when you had B, what were those early days of motherhood like for you? I mean, you said that you didn't know how your personality was going to fit. Was it what you thought? Or what were those best and hardest parts? (laughs) No, it was so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I... It was not what I thought. It, it and I don't know what I thought actually, because I really I generally go into things with very little expectation. I remember feeling um, disconnected. I felt non-nurturing. Uh, B was a crier. She was, and it's so funny now. She, I, I see now that she's as a fiercely independent toddler. She just wanted space. You know, she just yeah. wanted to be be by yourself. And I remember, um, I just, I had wanted to co-sleep. I had wanted to do the ergo and have the attachment parenting. And like, there were all of these things that I had thought aligned with my values. And then B came and she didn't want any of them. So (laughs) she had different values. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I remember, um, my husband and I would, would walk around the kitchen Island. We would just do laps, um, from, like 6 to 9 p.m. every night, witching hour, right? And Mm -hmm. she was very colicky. She would cry and scream all the time. And um, I was dead set on nursing probably longer than I should have been. And so um, I, yeah, we would would just take shifts. We'd put in our earplugs and we would just pace and we would just cry. Yes. And uh, it was the worst because I couldn't comfort her. And I thought that's what a mom does. I thought Mm -hmm. moms comfort their babies. Why? why can I not comfort her? And it took a long time for me to realize some newborns just cry all the time. Like that's just them. But it was funny. There was a moment where she was, um, I think four months old and I don't know if she was just passing the colicky stage or if, or if this was actually her issue. (laughs) But I remember, um, I had called my midwife that day and I'm like, I don't think I can do this. I don't know what to do. She can't stop crying please help. And she's like the the safest place for your baby to be. When you feel that way, put her in her crib, like just put her or put her in the middle of the bed and, and walk away, take 10 deep breaths outside, leave the house, get up. And so I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I had put her in her crib and she stops, she stops crying. And, and I'm like, what? In all this time, I have been literally holding onto her all day, every day. I have never let her down. And that's what she needed. She just needed to be by herself. And so it was such that exercise in failure and that exercise in I have made this so much harder than it needs to be and um, being ill-equipped and the unknown and the ambiguity. Oh, it was just so hard for me. So hard for me. So I did not have a good run that, you know, those first couple months. And Mm -hmm. I actually feel like it's made me so much of a better mother because I so appreciated those toddler years when they're insistent and independent and asking so many questions because I far prefer that than just a baby screaming at me all day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially when you're coming from a career where it's like the product and the outcomes were kind of dictated by you, right? Like you work hard, you get a certain outcome. You meet a deadline, this happens. And with babies, they don't care. Like they don't care how long you've walked and paced the island. You don't, they don't care how long they've been up in the middle of the night. There's, yeah. there's no amount of like equation balancing in, in newbornhood. <laughs> no, they don't understand math at all. No, not and, at all. 
It, yeah, it's so trying. And I think, yeah, particularly for having children later in life, yeah. you're very, you have a very tidy marriage and a very tidy schedule and a very tidy routine. And then, you know, the baby kind of comes in like a bomb and blows everything up. Yes. Um, and of course there were happy moments and there were beautiful times. And, um, I did eventually the, the, the massive treat in all of it was, um, not feeling incredibly nurturing or, uh, feeling super connected, you know, biologically Mm -hmm. helped me immensely in my decision to, um, adopt. It was almost as if, okay, this is affirming my choice that, or affirming my belief that love is a choice and that love is a commitment Mm -hmm. and, uh, that you do it anyway, even when you don't feel it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you just recently adopted your baby boy, and that's so yes. exciting. Congratulations. How has that transition been for me uh, as an older sister well, and everything and for all of you? It's so funny. I've heard it said that if you think um, that going from zero to one is hard, you will think that going from one to two is easy or vice versa. Mm-hmm. If you think going from zero to one is easy, chances are you'll think going from one to two is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that was completely true for me. He is a dreamboat baby. He's the <laughs> easiest. He is calm. He cuddles. I've never had a cuddly baby. This is just oh. bizarre. Um, he wants to like hang on all the time and, um, he it fits in wonderfully. Um, and it was beautiful. Yeah, it, it happened very, um, it was a surprise, not surprise adoption in that we didn't know we were adopting, but it happened very quickly <laughs> and um, in a very rare set of circumstances that um, they just blew our mind, just how, how it all um, kind of came to fruition. But yeah, we were basically a, a family of three and then overnight became a family of four and we transitioned wonderfully. She's, you know, I think she was just really very happy. I know we're not supposed to call little girls bossy, but um, <laughs> she's, I don't know what you say instead, a leader. Yeah. <laughs> she's assertive, um, yeah. That sounds terrible of me to say, but she is just thrilled to have someone to um, hire her up a little bit on the totem pole. There you know you what go. I mean? Like yeah. she, she is now queen of the hierarchy and yes. she's the oldest, she's built to be an oldest kid. She just truly is. So uh, she's enjoyed every minute as well. It's been kind of beautiful to watch her sort of grow into that role. I love that. And I feel like my son, Parker, who's now six, he's my oldest. And um, I feel like they're very similar in personality, he and B, because he was always from the second they laid him on my chest when he was born, he craned his neck up to like look at me and he like turned his head. And I'm like, I feel like their neck is not supposed to be that strong. And then he yes, always wanted to be facing same. out. He didn't want to ever be cuddled into me. He wanted to be facing out and moving forward. Uh And we would have him in the car seat and we would swing it back and forth with like the little arm holder. We would swing it and we'd have bruises all over our legs from it ramming into our legs. Uh, He just needed vigorous motion. But let me tell how old is B now? She's four and a half. Okay. You're getting to the good part because the very things that are most challenging about these assertive, opinionated, active little beings as babies and toddlers are the very characteristics that make them awesome leaders later. And so I tried so hard to not squelch that spirit and that competitiveness and that drive and that like looking around and moving forward. I didn't want to ever squash that, but it was hard when they were little. And I'm like, you need to do what I need you to do. But Uh now I'm seeing it as he's maturing. I mean, he's only six. I can't imagine what's ahead, but even at six, 
seeing him be a leader in his class and seeing him like know what he wants and not be swayed by the mob mentality. Erin, you're going to be so glad B has that chutzpah inside of her. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And yes. I totally, I 100% agree. I feel like she um, she's an incredible kid, um, just driven and smart and um, still kind as well. Yeah. I just, yeah, she's, she's just always really wanted to be an adult. Don't talk to her like a baby. She's an adult. <laughs> and I just think it's been... Um, really beautiful to watch her come into that and and same I try it's such a fine line between um mm-hmm. teaching uh compliance but not just stark obedience to I, I like that she questions I like that she pushes buttons um I just don't want her to push mine all the time yes. uh, so it is a, it's a fine line it's a tricky balance it is it totally is I yeah I agree with that and I always joke like if I can just parent Parker really well the other kids will follow suit because they respect him so much and they and he's so authoritative that it's like he'll t- he'll show them the ropes. So I just have to work really hard on parenting Parker and then I'll be good. <laughs> That's genius. I'm totally going to think that now because you're right. She's already like passing on these really great things. Yes. Um, and the bad yeah. as well. But well, yes, yes. You know, you're living with a parrot. But it's, um, yes, I. that's a really great reminder. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, I can you can do that. You can one. do that. That's so awesome. And so as you've grown your family, I know that as moms who work hard and have passions and are driven to achieve things and are driven to check things off lists, I'm that same way, Erin, it's sometimes hard to become a mom and repeat the same tasks over and over and over and have to forego Sometimes that sense of accomplishment and that sense of accolade sometimes and that sense of being seen for what you're doing, that can be really hard. How did you kind of transition and how did you juggle dealing with your business stuff and continue on in your personal passions and pursuits while also trying to be present for your kids? I love when you shared a story in Chasing Slow about needing to to decorate their rooms or B's room, and uh, you sent your husband and B off for, for an outdoor activity, and there you are assembling furniture and everything, and you're like, I'm missing out on that memory making because I'm assembling furniture for a deadline. Like, what am I really doing? So how have you kind of tried to juggle, and I don't like the word balance because there's no balance in things. There's just a juggle. <laughs> That's really yes. what it is. How have you dealt with that, Erin? Um, that's a great question. And I have had many iterations of this. Um, I have had those seasons where I have wanted to work a lot. I've had those seasons where I want to work not at all. Mm. Um, and I generally will cater. I I feel like I have the gift of being able to cater my work to that. Um, at the same time it is, it's, it's a constant reminder. Um, I feel like I, I have to keep myself in check, you know, do I want to work more so that I can keep up and not be forgotten? Or do I want to work more because I'm feeling creatively starved? Mm. Or um, do I want to work less, you know, because it's easier for, for to, to not even try to juggle, you know, mm. I'm not saying it's easier to be a, to be a mom only, but it's, it's sometimes easier to take off that plate entirely and not deal with the tension of the work and the mom. Yeah, you have your um, attention divided. And so it's like how uh-huh. you divide it up. In what in what balance are you slicing the pie this week or next week or next year? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so for me, um, you know, I have I have made a lot of the wrong choices and I've made a lot of the right choices. And um I think when 
because B was such a hard baby in the beginning, I, I regret to say, I think I tried to escape that a little. Mm. I think I was, um, terrified that I was going to be a bad mom. Mm. And I, and I bought into the lie that I was a better mom when I wasn't with her. I did. Um, I, I told myself that I was a, a better mom for working so many hours. Um, and that is true for some women. I, I, I know some of those women and they are fantastic moms, um, all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think women have a great capacity to be able to multitask and juggle a lot of different things. For me, um, I was not gifted in that way. And, and so I just became a more stressed version of myself. Mm. I just became, um, sure. I got the hours away and I got to like hone in on those creative skills that I love to do. But when I was home, I was thinking about it still. I was, I, I had a hard time turning it off. And, um, so I, that first year I would say I was chasing, um, after, after something that I could excel at because I didn't think that was motherhood. And, um, now I think having a little bit of time and space from that and from, growing into, uh, being a mom of two, I, I just feel this push to, um, try and not define what this career or what this professional life looks like. And so I know for me, my balance right now is I can only work about two, maybe three hours a day. Um, and that's all that I want to work. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's hard to, I think, be honest with yourself in that it's hard to, see everybody else doing really great things and, and moving forward in their businesses, um, and not feel like, gosh, if maybe I should add an hour or two and try to do something similar, maybe I should add two hours and, and tackle that thing on my to-do list that I, that I know I'm supposed to be doing, you know, to be a good blogger or whatever. Right. But, um, I, I'm, I think I've come far enough in done and made enough of what I would call the wrong choices for me to get past that and to grow out of that and to suddenly stop thinking about what does a good blogger look like and just, um, try to be the best mom. The, the mom thing is, is 25 times more important than the career thing for me. So, um, yeah, I've, I've hit a nice sweet spot where I just wake up really early. I'm up in between, I mean, I'm up anyway because the baby doesn't sleep, but <laughs> I stay up from like 2.30 to 4.30 in the morning, um, sometimes 5.30. And then um, then I'm getting in all of my work time and the emails and the and I'll post and I'll write. And it's, and it's a good balance for me. I like starting my morning with that quiet time and with that focus. And then I can kind of let the day unfold however it is because my work is finished. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And to some people, they might think 2.30 in the morning, like you're working, like that must run you ragged. You must be so depleted and whatever. But I think what's beautiful about that is the spirit with which you're approaching it and the way you talk about it, it doesn't sound like you're actually saying the words 2.30 in the morning. It sounds like you're saying like, I work from 10 to noon and then I'm done. You know, like you approach that, that pocket of time like it's your treasured time. Like you discovered oh, these two magical hours in the middle of the night where you do something to fill your soul. I and lo- I yes, think I love it. And that, I'm so glad yeah. that you mentioned that. Yes. Cause it's not, it doesn't feel, um, I mean on certain days, you know, if I'm extra tired, then, um, I'll shorten it to like an hour and then yeah. I'll take a nap or something. But, um, 
It is. I, I so look forward to that time of quiet and space. And you know, you don't get a lot of that time during the day. So it's right. just been a really sacred, beautiful hour for me or two. Yes. And while 2.30 in the morning may not sound appealing at all to many people, you have to find the hour or two that does sound appealing to you. So is it staying up later? Is it getting up earlier? Is it getting a babysitter once a week so that you can just go on a walk by yourself without other voices, you know, in your ear? Whatever it is that really allows you that space to really feel like like you, like unattached from any other identity that you have with motherhood or even with your business, but just being creative, whatever like fills you up. I love that yes. because I have no doubt that makes you a better mom. Oh, it does. It does. Um, I just, I get energized from it. Yeah. Um, and I write every morning. I always have, I don't always publish what I'm writing, but mm-hmm. that's how I learn. And so I feel like, you know, if I'm not learning that I'm, that I'm not progressing. And so there's that productivity, right? There's that, um, you know, when you're doing the same thing every day, it's nice to add in a little bit of novelty. And Mm -hmm. for me, that is the writing and that, and I just write the second I wake up, I write whatever comes to mind. Sometimes it's super incoherent. Sometimes I learn something and sometimes I don't, but Mm. it's always the attempt there. Yeah. And there's a quote in your book that says, I learned that thinking about living is not the same as living. And I feel that way with motherhood as well. Sometimes we read so many parenting books. We ask for advice from so many sources of how to potty train, how to how to love our kids more, how to get them to listen to us, how to do this, how to do that. And we're so inundated. And we spend so much of our time thinking about doing the mothering that we're not just diving in to see what actually works for us. You are so right. I love that. You know? And I think that's probably why I spend so little time online. Yeah. That's, Uh, that's so interesting that you really don't spend much time online, but there you are for all of us. (laughs) (laughs) I know it is a really, um, it's tricky. I, anytime that I'm, um, talking about blogging, I, there's always some tension there because I just, I do not have the personality for my job. I, I love the introverted introspective parts of it. Uh, but then the the putting yourself out there and the being online often, I'm not great at. I'm not, mm. I'm not a firm believer in, um, more is more online. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like to take little, little tiny pockets here and there. Um, but I don't find it, uh, energizing to be online. So I, I do really very much limit my time. Yeah. I think that is so, so smart. And you have to really be self-aware enough and brave enough to look at your life and be like, okay, if I cataloged what I was actually doing during the day, what things are draining me and what things are energizing me? And how much time am I scrolling on Instagram? And how much time am I reading with my kids? And how much time am I outside? And how much time am I just holed up inside? You know, and everyone has different values. And so not to say that your life has to look like anybody else's, but I think it's really critical to be self-aware in order to really curate your life and curate the life that you want, not according to somebody else that you think, well, their life looks good. That's what I should be doing. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I I think a lot of times we are making rules for ourselves, um, and we're really hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and we try to, um, fit within these certain standards or expectations that we assume, right? Their assumptions. Yes. And so I just always assumed, you know, if I want to keep my job, as a blogger, if I want to continue doing what I do and connecting with readers and, um, you know how much I love email. So emailing people every day, Mm -hmm. if I want to continue those things, then I need to be online and be, make myself available. 
And I don't, I have not found that to be true. I found that that is a very, um, I'm placing, I'm placing my job in a box and, mm. and you don't have to spend all day online to, um, to, to reach people and to influence people. You truly don't. I think it's, um, I would even argue that the more time you spend in real life, um, you know, the, maybe perhaps the better connection you'll have online. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. It's definitely been true for me. Uh, but yeah. I think, I think that can go for anything, you know, if we, once we release ourselves from those rules and those boundaries that we are setting limitations on our own, on our own creativity, um, once we release those, uh, then we can truly make our jobs, make our motherhood, make our marriage work for, work for us, you know, not the other way around. There's so many times where we go to sleep at night thinking of all the things, and you say this in your book, while others count sheep, I count transgressions. And when I reach the hundreds, I roll over and turn off the bedside lamp emptied. How many times are we depleting ourselves because we're trying to match up against somebody else instead yeah. of uh, using our energy in a productive way? And I think even spending 10 quality, enjoyable minutes with your child is better than playing them with them for an hour while you're thinking about something else, while you are distracted, or while you're like checking your phone too, you know? Yeah, there's not hundred percent. Yeah, there's there's a difference between that quality and that quantity, and I think it's okay for your kids to play independently, and you not feel obligated to entertain them and be their cruise director all the time. No, like the Extraordinary Moms podcast is not about being a perfect mom. It's about doing the best job for your kids and like signing up for this job in the first place, and that's what you're doing, Erin. And you may not think that you have like the natural maternal nurturing skill set. And that made you nervous to become a mom. But Erin, you're extraordinary. And I guarantee there's people listening that feel like they're failing. And they can count their transgressions instead of their positive aspects of their day at the end of the day. But, oh, it breaks my heart to hear that that would be the focus instead of, like, celebrating, wow, I'm a mom. And I'm doing a great job. Yes, yes. Oh, you are so encouraging. Um... Yeah, I completely agree. I've always told myself, you know, when I feel myself comparing me to or my day to what other moms are doing um, or my kids to what other kids are doing, um, it's one of those, you know, I am shaping the kids that I want to live with. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I I don't necessarily want to live with that kid. Right. I, um, and, and my kids are helping shape the parent that they need as well. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's a two way street there, but, um, I constantly remind myself when I get in that space of, um, am I doing enough? And, um, am I being intentional enough with my time? It's very much, yeah, it's very much a yes. And I, I mm-hmm. completely agree with that the 10 minutes of focus is way better than the hour of distraction of distracted listening, yeah. because it's better for you. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can, I, I can always tell if I give the 15 minutes and we color in tandem alongside of each other. She doesn't want a lot of input. We don't do anything to like, we don't do collaborative creativity cause she's very picky and <laughs> she doesn't want me to draw on her page or any of it. So, um, yes, if I am just coloring next to her in tandem and we're both it, but me coloring, not me on my phone or not, um, me reading a book, but 
then she's like over me and wants to do something else. You know, like yeah. when that 15 minutes is up, she's like, all right, mom, I'll see you later. And it's like, oh, <laughs> all right. That's all we needed? Okay. <laughs> I can do really that. Good, really good to um, color with you and not chat at all. And so, um, yeah, I find that same with like lunchtime, you know, we'll have this really great conversation and then she's off and running. And that I've noticed those times happening more often where her cup is full and she's, she will call. Okay. All right. Independent time. I'm done yeah. with you. Um, and it's really, it's beautiful. And I don't, and it makes you, it makes you really wonder, well, how many times was I thinking this needed to go on for an hour? So I just didn't do it at all. You know, yeah. I know it's I know. far more parenting. Good parenting is far more attainable than we think it is. I think sometimes it's oh, yeah. like after that, those good 10 minutes and you're like, what a great time. Like I could do that again. But yet you think in your mind, oh, well, 10 minutes, that's all I have. Like, it's not even worth doing anything then. You know, uh-huh. it's kind of like cleaning up the house. It's like, well, I only have 10 minutes. And then you kind of squander the 10 minutes. But it's like 10 minutes, that's that's go time. Let's see how much we can get done in 10 minutes, you know. But just yeah. the approach. Your book, like I said, Chasing Slow is so beautiful. And what I loved about it was it was not telling everybody to slow down. It's not telling everybody to speed up. It's not telling anybody how to live their life. It's about your personal journey about being more intentional and about creating the life that's really most meaningful according to your values. And I want to know, how are you a different person and a different mother now than you were when you started this whole journey, both in writing the book and becoming a mom? How are you different, Erin? Oh, um, a million ways. <laughs> I One of the best things about writing this book and about what I think maybe doing anything that was very hard and very challenging was I began to, so, so first of all, the hypocritical part of the writing was that I was writing a book about living slow while I was having to live very fast to do it. You know, mm. I, I had six months to write the book and I would bring home takeout for my family thinking, oh, this isn't what a slow living girl would do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I began to live not necessarily outside of my values, but outside of the expectation of of what my values should be. And so, um, I started to feel a lot of tension on those pages when I, when I would, you know, sit down in the morning and I would think I can't not address this. And so by writing through that, by writing through, okay, well, what happens after you make this change, you know, whether you're changing to living faster or living more slow, Mm what happens when you make that change and you find you're still the same person and you're still you on the other side of the change. Mm. And that, um, was such a freeing concept to explore the many ways in which we are hypocrites, you know, the many ways in which we have our pie in the sky ideals and all of our values and the kind of standards that we want to meet for ourselves and our family. And we continually fall short of that, you know? Um, And I don't think that the answer is to lower the expectation. I think it's just uh, perhaps throwing the expectation out the window entirely. And, um, you know, I say in the book that it's it's about releasing that metric. Mm. And I would not have learned how to do that without writing this book. I would not have learned to stop measuring everything and to stop um, striving for a certain identity of who I thought I should be even when it's a good and worthy identity, you know, even when it's, yeah, we want to be a great mom, we want to be a great wife. When we fall short of that and we start to crumble and beat ourselves up, we are good to no one. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it was understanding that, yes, I, I 
did not mother well today, but I'm a good mother. You know? Yes. Yes, Erin. Yes. Yes. So, and so I just, that has been the most freeing thing ever to be able to accept all of those failures and accept all of those contradictions and accept, um, every part of me, not just the bad parts or the good parts, but the wholeness of me as a being and, and truly, um, surrender that and to walk in faith that I am doing my best and just trust that that's true, you know? Yes. Um, Yes. So, so I would say it really, I think writing a book about slowing my life really taught me to surrender it. Hmm. So when you lay your head down at night, do you still count your transgressions? No. Oh my gosh. I sleep like a baby. Well, part of that is being up all night with a baby. Yes, but, that's true. Yeah. Um, you're like, I don't actually sleep anymore. No, but it's so, funny. so how did, do, so how I did you change? To kind of, you know, when you like, like for instance, I think pre me, um, probably me from five years ago, me from pre writing the book, even I would finish this podcast and then I would kind of go through all the things that I should have said or all the things that I maybe said a little bit wrong or all the things that I wish I could clarify. And, um, I still absolutely a hundred percent catch myself doing that. And then I, I say, Erin, it is finished. It is Mm. over. You know, that it is done. The day is done. Let's move on. Let's move forward. And I've just cut out a lot of that chatter and I find myself so much more at peace. I love that. And I know that you love Jess Lively as much as I do. And oh, if so people don't listen to uh, the Lively show, they should. But she's talked about how she does not rehearse any conversations she's going to have and she doesn't go back over any conversations she just had because what is, is. And what needs to be said will be said. And if you can be present enough and in the moment enough, like the right thing will come out. And in yes. in, in being critical of what just came out is not helpful. And I feel like I'm in that space right now where I'm still in the, oh, I should have said this or I should have said it this way or should I have even said that. I'm still in that hypercritical phase. And so it really encourages me that since you've been able to release that and, pr- and practice releasing it to the point where – you can just go to sleep instead of yes. having that spinning. That gives me a lot of hope. Oh, good. And I wish that I could find a very practical how and yeah, say, please. okay, well, here's all you do. That's your next the book. House, the hard part. You know what I mean? The why and yeah. the what are sometimes kind of easy. But, um, you know, I think one thing that um, – my husband is so good at this. He, um, when I find myself in that downward spiral or feeling really anxious or um, – you know, talking to myself in very negative terms. Um, he's a very big believer in exploring the what if, you know, okay, mm-hmm. well, what if you did hop back on the podcast and say it a different way? Mm-hmm. And what if, you know, what if you would have uh, made a better decision as a mom today? Yes, play that out. And it's still, you still have kind of the same end. Right, you know what I mean? Right. You really truly do. You're still you. You still have um, fantastic children. And, um, you're still going to wake up the next morning with bad breath and bed head. And it's still, you know, it's, it's the good and the bad. And I, I think too, one thing that really helped release me from that, um, that performance mentality or that perfectionism Mm -hmm. mentality was, um, understanding that we are not one, we're not really truly one bad decision away from screwing up our lives. You know, I, I think a lot can be said for making good decisions and making good choices. Um, 
but I think we are almost so afraid of failure um, that we've taught ourselves that the script is, you know, you are just one step away from becoming a terrible mother. You were just one tantrum away from having terrible kids. And no, there's grace for tomorrow. You know, today, Mm -hmm. yes, we get today and we get to live today how we want to and how we need to and how we should. But there's also tomorrow mm-hmm. until there's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I love that, Erin. You are wise beyond your years. Oh, <laughs> oh, this has been such a treat talking with you. And I just, like I said, I just love the book Chasing Slow so much. And I encourage everybody to read it to get more into your story. And and I like how you explained that feeling of hypocrisy even while you're reading it. Because every single day... We all feel that in some capacity in our life. Like I have a mom podcast, but I yelled at my kids yesterday. And I like and I and I preach yeah. peaceful parenting. Like we all feel like we're falling short of the mark of what we're putting out there sometimes, but that doesn't negate everything else and that you're still a good mom. You had a bad moment, but you're still a good mom. Yeah. I love yeah. that. You are amazing. You're amazing. Oh, and so I encouraging. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I always you. ask my guests one final question, and it's this, Erin. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Gosh. I think I would tell my pre-motherhood self um, probably to take it season by season. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I, I think we set out uh, with this kind of, 10-year plan of, of what we're going to do and what our kids are going to be like and what the important steps are. Um, and I think just one of the best advice that I received was that everything changes in two weeks. You know, with kids, there's a two-week cycle. If your kid's not eating bananas, they will in two weeks. Yeah, if your true. kid loves bananas, they'll hate them in two weeks, you know. <laughs> um, it's Everything is very you know, cyclical and motherhood. I feel like we're always learning and relearning and learning. And I, I'd assume before that life was linear, but I think it's a circle. I think yeah. you're just, um, yes, you will have moments of upward growth and then you will have moments where you're back to where you started and mm-hmm. that that's okay. I think that's what I would tell her is that that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Erin, thank you. Thank you for all the light you're putting out into the world. You're doing so much good. And I love that motherhood is a part of that journey for you. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, same to you. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. Oh, it's my pleasure. You have a great day. Okay, you too. Now you can see why I've been consuming every podcast that Erin has been on lately. She's been on the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. She's been on the Lively Show several times, Coffee and Crumbs. I mean, she's been a lot of places because she is just amazing. So if you go into your podcast app and um, look up Erin Lochner, I bet there's a lot of episodes that'll pop up for you and you can listen to to more of her. But definitely pick up her books, Chasing Slow. I'm going to have all the links to everywhere you can find Erin online um, on my website, ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. You can follow me on Instagram at JessicaDalquist3 and on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. It's such a pleasure to bring you these stories every week. I know that your time is precious and it makes me so happy to hear that while you're cleaning your kitchen or while you're driving carpool, I can be your buddy and I can keep you company and these stories and these moms can encourage you along the way. It means so much to me. Gosh, I end up crying every single time. (laughs) I hope that you can see through Erin's lens and through the stories that we share every single week that all of these moms are extraordinary in their own way and so are you. 
you are doing a great job as a mom and I hope that you can see that. I hope you can see the positive impact and the influence you're having on your family, your children, and those around you every single day as you seek to be the best mom that you can be. Not a perfect mom, but an extraordinary one. So I hope everyone has an awesome day. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. It makes my day when I hear that somebody just found the podcast and it has been an encouragement to them. So have an awesome week, everybody, and I'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.